0: Congregation of the Lord, it's a pleasure to be with you this evening and to bring you God's Word. Please continue standing, and if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 12 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. This is the very Word of God. Please give your careful attention to it. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. We are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part that we are your boast, as you also are ours, in the day of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we indeed are in the world, but we're not of the world. We walk in this world, but we are not to walk according to the world. We are to seek to walk according to heavenly wisdom, not earthly wisdom. In other words, our our thoughts, words, and actions must be different from the world, and really against the world in all of its fleshly ideas and practices. The world thinks it is wise with all of its self-centered, self-exalting, godless philosophies and counsel as to how people should think and live. However, God teaches us in the divine wisdom of the scriptures that we must walk in ways that are right before him. Therefore, we find the rub. We find the conflict and the challenge. Satan and those who are of the world don't just sit and watch us go by without confrontation, do they? They try to seduce us away from God and to their point of view. They try to separate the the sheep from their shepherd. They attack and try to destroy us. They make false accusations and try to divide relationships amongst God's people and bring permanent damage to reputations. Paul knew this well. In fact, today's text is really Paul's stand of confidence in the purity of their conduct Amongst the Corinthians. For the manner in which Paul and his colleagues lived and interacted with the people was a testimony of the grace of God, contrary to the claims of some. What claims were made? False teachers had come into the church in Corinth and they had opposed Paul's authority. They questioned Paul's integrity. They claimed that Paul's actions were according to the flesh. And if you recall, Titus told Paul of the saints' repentance and affection for Paul that resulted in Paul writing this letter. Though Paul was confident in God's work in the Corinthian church, not all the Corinthians were equally confident of Paul. If you would, turn with me to chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's consider the first six verses. It says there, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, a wise minister once told me that one of the tactics Satan uses to bring division and discord in the church isn't to necessarily seduce people to leave the church due to complaints or unhappiness, and clearly sometimes that is the case. But rather, his strategy can often be to damage the reputation of the minister so that a level of doubt is raised in the people's minds as they are hearing the preaching of the word, and then they stop listening and are focused on their doubts rather than hearing what they desperately need to hear from the word of God. And that's what happened in Corinth. Paul had been there. He had been amongst the people. The false teachers went in after Paul's reputation and authority, sowing doubt in the minds of the people. Though there was this huge mess in the Corinthian church, God here uses Paul to write again to this messy people and sinful people to declare a massive yes in Jesus Christ and the gospel that pierces through The doubt and the darkness. Paul knows that God has been at work in the hearts of his people there. And so, Paul, after speaking about his great trust in God's deliverance, and after recognizing the people's prayer and God's blessing, he now tells them of his boasting and of his living in simplicity and godly sincerity. And we need to take note of his godly example, and pray that God would be at work in us to live that way as well. So the focus of this message here tonight, although we we read the the verses 12 through 14 um, in its entirety there, we're going to focus on verse 12. In verse 12, we see this this word from our Lord through Paul, um, discussing Paul's boasting, but also Um, the testimony of their conscience. And indeed, there it says again, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and that more abundantly toward you. My friends, boasting can clearly be from the sin of pride. However, Paul didn't boast in his own ability. He didn't boast in his own efforts that led to success in morally upright conduct when he was with the Corinthians. For Paul, it was a time of confident rejoicing in the triumph of God's grace in him. He knew what kind of a terrible sinner he was. And that understanding made the grace of God and his upright behavior all the more evident. This was a time for godly boasting to occur, true joy in the work of God. And as Paul told the church in Corinth in his first letter, as it is written, let he who glories glory in the Lord. And that's what he did. That's what he did. You know, it's good and encouraging when the Lord enlightens your understanding to his work in you. Those moments when you realize that you've made strides in resisting temptation and sin, and there is good fruit on display. God grows you in that. He he deepens your thankfulness for his grace. He deepens your happiness and joy as You see more of the fruits of grace. Sometimes it's also helpful or necessary to share His work in you with others. Whether it's to encourage someone by sharing your experience, whether it's to defend your actions against false accusations, you should gladly do so, not in ways where you are taking the glory but where all the glory goes to God and his grace notice that their confidence in their conduct was confirmed in the testimony of their conscience it wasn't from the ratings or reviews of men clearly some men rated them f for flesh but rather it was a testimony of the conscience it was a testimony Of God's work in them. Remember, the conscience is a God given moral barometer that is in our minds, that passes moral judgments on ourselves, either approving or disproving our actions. And God can use a tormenting conscience to bring sinners to repentance, driving them to the cross. Where have we seen that to be true? Martin Luther indeed um, said this about himself. He said, Although I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt myself to be a sinner before God with a most unquiet conscience. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. Thus I raged with a fierce and a troubled conscience. We know that Martin Luther was one that was very uh, much uh, hard with himself in many senses, in many cases, um, and, but yet one in which the Lord mightily worked in him, convicting him, uh, drawing him to himself. Another aspect of the conscience is that the conscience can be misinformed and begin to consider evil as good, having become seared or dull. Where do we find that to be true? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first two verses there, says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And therefore, the conscience has to be educated by the word of god as it is it watches for sin and prods us until we confess another aspect of the conscience is that it must be cleansed one of the gracious blessings and applications of the blood of christ is that it cleanses our conscience we all desire to have a clear conscience But the Bible also tells us that we need to have clean consciences. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. You can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 says there, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And again, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9, verse 13 says this, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Beloved, we need our consciences purged from dead works so that we can truly love, worship, and serve the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ indeed cleanses our conscience from sin and guilt. So how is your conscience? Is it clean? Is it clear? Have you been struggling with besetting sin? If it has been seared, repent. Call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ask him to purge your conscience from dead works so that you can serve him well. So for Paul, having a rightly informed conscience, its testimony regarding his conduct gave him a joyful confidence. And so he goes on in 12b, in the second part of that verse, to say that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Like I said before, walking in the world is tough. Though some may have accused Paul of being deceitful and crafty in his actions, Paul denied that, stating that he walked in simplicity and in sincerity. Now, both of these words have a similar meaning of having a purity of mind in them. But they can also be distinguished as well. Simplicity doesn't just mean being simple as in not complex. Simplicity from a moral point of view is being single-minded, saying what you mean and meaning what you say, walking in purity rather than being double-minded and mixed with truth and lies. John Calvin said this, It is an open and upright way of acting such as makes a man's heart, as if it were, transparent. Sincerity, on the other hand, means that the one is acting in integrity, being clear, being genuine. Paul didn't appear to be someone that he wasn't. Sincerity is the opposite of hypocrisy. What the people saw and heard was the real deal as Paul focused on teaching and preaching the gospel and interacting with the people in a manner that was pleasing to God. You know, whether we are defending and clarifying our actions to others or whether we are reflecting on and examining our own hearts, we need to live in such a way that we can rejoice and have godly confidence in the grace of God at work in us. So, how do we do that? Well, daily we need to be on our knees in prayer asking Jesus to help us to, to get the junk out of our hearts and our minds that we, we wouldn't be hypocrites, but rather that we would live with integrity before Him, pure in thought, having pure motives, having godly behavior, that, that His honor and glory would be ever before our eyes and then therefore ever displayed before others. We also need to read his word daily to be educated and to be refreshed about what he requires of us and what we must stay away from. Thirdly, we need to be around other godly people. We don't need to surround ourselves with people who are going to excuse or encourage our bad and sinful behavior. We need to spend time with those who are going to defend and follow God's law, those who are going to defend honesty and purity, those who are going to encourage us to do the same. We should all desire to live in simplicity. And sincerity. The world is seductive and deceitful. And thus Paul walked rightly solely by the grace of God, denying fleshly wisdom, and so must we. But notice what he says in verse 12c Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. My friends, fleshly wisdom won't lead honest, pure, and sincere living. It won't lead to that. In other words, the foundation and fuel of Paul's simplicity and sincerity wasn't and couldn't be from the wisdom of this world. It could only be by the very race of God and the heavenly wisdom (coughs) that God provides to us. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18 say some wonderful things and give us some good meat to the bones about this idea. Listen to the qualities of this wisdom in light of what we've just considered about sincere living. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You know, if Paul was really crafty and deceitful, like the false teachers claimed he was. Clearly his works among the people would have been evil. Yet against the backdrop of this reality, we find amazing grace. The evidence of God's unmerited favor in the life of a sinner that was clear in the fruit of godly, obedient living the testimony of a clear conscience. Thus Paul concludes by telling the people that he hopes they understand and will continue to understand all of their lives. Brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with a few thoughts as we close. What is the testimony of your conscience? I know that it may be more complicated than simple to answer that question. Examine yourself before the Lord. The answer may be yes, in some ways and in some areas, and no, in others. But pray that as you examine, that God will shine his light and expose anything where repentance is needed that you will be quick to do so as well. And also, as you examine, be encouraged with the things that the Lord shows you where obedience is present. Be encouraged by fruit that you see in your life. Secondly, are you a diligent student of the word? Honestly, we can all say that we can each be more so. Let's press forward to do that. As we study, as we meditate, as the Holy Spirit grows us, our consciences are educated and our zeal for obedience is strengthened. As our knowledge of the word carries into action, our testimony and witness in this world by God's grace Stand strong even against critics who may try to raise doubt of our godly sincerity. Thirdly, do you desire the work of and depend on his grace? Are you thankful for it when the fruit of it is evident in your life? Only by the grace of God go on. As sinners, we are hypocrites to the core. Yet for those who believe in and are trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior, his blood has made us clean. His blood has washed us whiter than snow. He has forgiven all of our sins. His blood cleanses our consciences from the guilt of sin. We are the recipients of his grace. He has given us a new life. And we desperately need his grace, not only his favor, but his favor in action in our hearts and lives. We need to understand his grace and desire the work of his grace. You know, we talk about God's grace a lot in the church today. We talk about being the recipients of his grace and all of the wonderful things that are true about being the recipients of his grace. But yet, do we desire his grace? Are we seeing the work of his grace? And then, indeed, we need to rejoice in the fruit of his grace. You know, it's a wonderful thing to come to another brother or sister in conversation and even to verbally tell them, I'm thankful for the grace of God in your life. It's not said in any way to puff them up. That's not your intent. That's not what you're saying. You are thankful for the work of God in their life. As it is evident, as he has used them and as he has worked through them to be a blessing to you and others. Even going to them and saying, you know, what, I'm so thankful that the Lord has granted you faith and salvation. The works of God that we talk about often is sometimes that we don't verbalize to each other. Sometimes that not only do we not verbalize to each other, but maybe we just don't consider in those ways. The fruit of his grace. The fruit of his grace is on display in many ways in all of us who belong to him. Let us be mindful of that, and indeed. Let us seek, by his power and strength and his work, let us seek to live lives that are in simplicity and godly sincerity among a very much watching world, even among a very critical world. A world that would love to see us fall, but indeed in Christ we stand. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here because of you, we are here for you. Lord, even as we are before you, on your throne of grace, we come before you praying that our lives would be a beautiful testimony of your work, Lord Jesus. Of your work, Holy Spirit. That we indeed would be beacons of light in this dark and dead and evil world. Lord, we pray that you would give us strength as we, like Paul, face challenges, critics, opponents, those who would like to inject doubts into the midst of your people, and those who would like to inject doubts into our own very hearts regarding your plans, purposes, promises, Lord. Yet, Lord, help us to be indeed good students of the word, to stand on the word. It is as it is your word, it is living and powerful, and it is indeed at work in us, showing us the truth. May we stand on your truth, Lord. May we be sanctified by your truth, for your word is true. So Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be a people who are mindful of the things that we think of, the things that we say, the things that we do, not just when we walk out the door of our house, Lord, but even in our closets, in our bathrooms, in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, Lord, may may we be a people who indeed are concerned about and desire to live in godly sincerity. To your praise and glory, we thank and praise you in Jesus' name.